This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of the end of the world and possibly fun. <laughs> this week we are continuing our series on disasters, and we're going to talk specifically about what are the various effects of various kinds of damage to the world around you that you might want to monitor and use to drive adventures. Our first person up to talk about things is Blix. Blix, what are you covering? All right, I'm covering cyclonic storms, which is a generic term for all kinds of um, storms such as hurricanes and such. So first, I want to go to Wikipedia, the font of all knowledge. Uh, and I did. I did step outside of Wikipedia, but if you, you know, if you if you wiki um, natural disasters, you'll you'll get a lot of the information that I'm using. If you want to go back to it, of course, I go way beyond that because you know we do system and stuff like that. But uh, Wikipedia defines a natural disaster uh, is a consequence when a natural calamity affects humans and or the built environment. Thus, human vulnerability and often a lack of appropriate engineering management leads to a financial, environmental, or human impact. The result, the resulting loss depends on the capacity of the population to support or resist the disaster, their resilience. This understanding is concentrated in the formulation, disaster occurs when hazards meet vulnerability. A natural hazard will hence never result in a natural disaster in areas without vulnerability. The reason why I quote that verbatim is, is because I've never heard it so elegantly said. It's only a disaster if there's lots of damage and human life lost or – well, any life lost really. But if a hurricane were to hit a, a desert with no people in it and no buildings, then there's hardly a disaster. You know, sand would get swept around and great. But it's only a disaster if bad stuff happens and that's what we're talking about. Well, bad stuff happens to people. We have a good example of that, Blix, in the area of the tsunamis. In 2004, there was an 8.9, 9.0 tsunami in the Indian Ocean that killed 177,000 people. Right. A couple years later, there's another tsunami with is like a an 8.7 kills nobody. Right. That wasn't a disaster. That was just a tsunami. But it was still. You say, oh, it was way up there on the Richter scale. It must have killed thousands. No, it didn't. Tonight, when we're talking about disasters, we mean that there's loss of life and property. It has yeah. to happen or else it doesn't count as part of our discussion. But we're not talking about mega disasters, which is a totally different topic again, because mega disasters are potentially civilization ending. Well, no, we're talking about the little things, you know, like when your city gets wiped off the map. Right. <laughs> Scott Liz Sigler would say, lots and lots of <laughs> violence. <laughs> right. But not total destruction because then there's no, there's no adventure in that. And that's what we're talking about, having adventures. Yeah, your team has to survive somehow and there must be something to come back to. Right. So I'm doing cyclonic storms. So a cyclonic storm uh, is known by different names depending on their strengths and locations. A cyclonic storm or cyclone has a low-pressure center with a circulating air mass that rotates clockwise in the northern hemisphere and counterclockwise in the southern hemisphere. That would be due to the Coriolis effect, right? The different that is correct. Yes. No, they're just backwards down there. Right. It's you know it's it's down under. So. We're not we're not saying anything about people <laughs> south of the equator that listen to podcasts. Let's, right. Yeah. So. Basically, they form over large, large bodies of water, and they lose strength as they move over land due to increase in surface friction. So it's basically a big rotating storm, and the center of it is the focal point, and it rotates around that center point. And that's pretty much – that's what all hurricanes are. Now, there are different terminologies. Like you'll hear the term tropical. So whenever they use the word tropical, all that means is that it comes from a tropical region. That's where it started. While it's rare, there are extra tropical storms that form at higher 
latitudes or lower latitudes, depending on you know which side of the Earth you're on. So then you have a depression, which is a cyclonic storm with a wind speed less than 74 miles per hour. If you, once you get above 74 miles per hour, it becomes a hurricane. A typhoon is a hurricane, but it forms in the Western Pacific or the Indian Ocean. Those are just terms that they get used a lot, just so you know the difference. There are five phases of storms that the heroes will have to deal with. The periphery, the storm, the eye wall, the eye, and the aftermath. And these are not like formal descriptions. These are things I came up with uh, for game terms. Those are the different uh, categories in terms of game terms. Like th that's where the rules will change about what happens. The periphery phase, that's when the storm is coming in. And it hasn't really hit yet, but you're getting the effects of it. You're getting a lot of wind. You're getting some rain. What can really happen, you know, I didn't know about until I did this research, was that you can have tornadoes. This is where tornadoes come in a lot of times. When you have hurricanes that have tornadoes associated with them, they happen during the periphery phase because you're having a bunch of temperature change over a rapid period of time. Tornadoes basically are going to pretty much deliver nothing but wind damage. And I'll get into what wind, how, how to calculate wind damage. They're going to be pretty severe though. So anytime you get hit with a tornado, uh, I would use, when I get to the what's called the eye wall, you'd want to use the eye wall rules that are the eye wall concept that I came up with. And you'll understand in a second what I'm talking about. And just use the wind factor. And just remember that tornadoes move really fast and they're completely unpredictable. Um, they can be going one way and then just turn around and do a 180 and go another way. They move at the speed and direction of plot. Then you have the touchdown, and that's when the storm actually hits. That's when you're getting the, the full brunt of the storm with the, the rain and the lightning and strong winds. So if you're talking about a hurricane, you're talking about you know 80-mile-an-hour winds, torrential downpours. Now, this leads to flying debris. It leads to your storm surges. So if you're standing on the, the edge of a shore, this is where you can get hit with like tsunami-type effects. This is where you get flash flooding. You can have structural collapse. Once a touchdown, once you go through that whole phase, which is a pretty long phase, you can get hit with the eye wall. Now, if, this is only going to happen if the storm is heading directly at you. If it passes you, you would just go through this phase and it would fade away and you go back into the outer periphery on the other side. But if the storm is heading right at you, then you'll hit the eye wall. Now, the eye wall is the, the craziest part of the storm. It, it basically surrounds the eye like it sounds, and it's a ring of towering thunderstorms. And this has the, the most severe weather of the whole event. It's pretty much the most dangerous section to be in and, and delivers the most damage. Then you go into the eye. You know, everybody knows what the eye of the storm is. It's the calm section. Now, for most hurricanes, it's between 20 and 40 miles across. The bigger the hurricane, of course, the bigger the distance across to the eye. Uh, nothing much goes on in the eye. This is the time to improve your location if you can do it. So like say you're in some shack that you've been holding down in and you want to move to a better location. When the eye hits, that's when you want to move if you can do it quickly because uh, these storms move pretty fast. So that 20 to 40 miles of open space that you have is going to disappear really quick. And you don't know if you're in the center. If the center of it's going to pass over you or if you're just going to get with the edge of it. Uh, again, something that will move at the speed of plot. So then you have the aftermath. The aftermath of a cyclone or a cyclonic storm mostly comes from the lack of supplies, shelter, and loss or compromise of infrastructure. Disease is common due to large amounts of standing water, untreated or badly treated wounds, and dead bodies. There's also a great deal of potential danger from damaged structures. Uh, buildings can collapse long after the storm and with little warning. Down power lines are still of concern and sharp edges are everywhere. What's important for our game structure is how to GM this. How do you actually GM going through the storm? And I've come up with some basic stuff. So, and this is pretty much off the cuff, never been play tested. So, um, you know, this is this is just some ideas that we will work with, and uh, you might want to develop them for your stuff. We'll probably develop them for the Fringeworthy Savage Worlds that's coming out. And and again, I focus on Savage Worlds, and I want you guys to jump in on the D20 stuff as you see fit. Essentially, you're going to want to set up some metric for hazards. The first is frequency. How often are the players going to have to deal with the hazard? Secondly, what is the hazard that they're going to have to deal with? And thirdly, how intense is the hazard? For Savage Worlds, I would use the deck of cards. For frequency, this is going to be a, a Game Master's call. I would decide on how many cards I'm going to pull for a given phase of the storm, break up the time I want to spend on that phase, and pull a card for each interval. 
So for example, let's say it's the storm phase. I decide that I will require players to get through 10 card pulls. This will be over a two-hour period of time, so about every 20 minutes I'm going to pull a card for them. This, of course, is game time. For the eye wall, I decide that it will be over a 30-minute period of time because it's a much shorter section. But being that this is an extremely brutal part of the storm, I will again use 10 cards, but now I'm pulling a card every three minutes. The hazard can either be chosen on based of circumstances, or I can go with the suit, the card, you know, the, the deck suit, whichever is most appropriate at the time. Let's say diamonds are flying debris, hearts are flooding of some sort, uh, spades are lightning, and clubs is a structural issue. So again, for example, the heroes are out in the open running for shelter, so I'm going to go with suit instead of um, picking it myself. So I pull a spade. Now, I don't want to actually hit the hero with a lightning bolt, although you can if you want to. I'm going to have the bolt strike a power pole, and the hero needs to get out of the way. This will require an athletics roll. As for severity, you know, that's pretty easy. Just use the values of the cards. So a 2 to 4 would be, say, nothing of substance. Uh, maybe an athletics check to avoid being temporarily blinded by some flying, flying debris. A round or two later, their vision clears up, or maybe, you know, maybe it's just nothing at all. So then uh, a 5 to 10 would be something that could actually deliver damage. I would go with, like, I don't know, just off the cuff, 1d6 for a 5 to 7, 2d6 for 8 to 10, or um, cause them to have to climb something or save somebody. Let's say the, the edge of a ditch collapses into a fast-moving river created by the storm. Anyone fa failing their perception and or athletics check falls into the river and gets swept downstream. Swim roll or help from the party is required to get them out. And then a face card, of course, is nasty. This is, has the potential to do some real damage. Whatever you hit them with, it should be able to hurt them badly or kill them. For Savage Worlds, I'm going to go with 3d6. This is like uh, the power pole from the previous example. Instead of it falling near them and hitting them with you know, debris or, or just kind of clipping them or whatever, let's say the power pole actually falls right on them. Then there's the, the Joker. Now... As far as I'm concerned, jokers are never bad for the party. They're always good, because in Savage Worlds, a joker is always the greatest thing you ever want to get. So I would say, in this case, uh, if they pull a joker, something awesome happens in their favor. So let's say I pull a joker and I say, oh, you find really good shelter. So then everything's total chaos. So I don't know if I would let the damage explode the way it does in Savage Worlds or not. You know, This, this would be something you'd have to play test out. So I'm kind of inclined to say no, because I, I can imagine 3d6 with exploding damage. Um, that's pretty much almost a death sentence in a lot of cases. Wouldn't you say, John? Yeah, it's if you're rolling a d6, d6 will explode the most uh, next to a d4. A d4 actually, d4 explode a lot, but trouble is it won't do too much damage. But right. d6 can do sufficient damage. Right. And the more d6s you roll at, at once, the better your chances of getting a, a six at that point, and watching them blow up to enormous damage. Right. So, you know, this isn't a controlled hit, and this isn't being hit by heroes. So I would say, I would kind of, I'm inclined to go with no exploding damage. I would also say, if the player takes no damage, he can also be trapped or tangled up. Uh, the damage roll could be replaced with a strength check to get him free. So some of these would most likely require several people to work together to get them free. So let's say, take for example, you know, the power pole falls but it doesn't do any damage. The power lines don't have to be active. They don't have to have power in them. You know, that, that line could be have been dead for hours. But let's say they get tangled up in the wires. Or let's say the pole falls and it doesn't damage them but it traps them. So you might need a combined strength of 7 or 8 to pull them free or, or a combined strength check to get them free. Um... So that's that's kind of how I'm going with the with that system. Um, do you want to add in anything for the D20 stuff, you guys? As far as storms go, your best bet for storms as far as damage, and I got the PDF right here, 3.5 Dungeon Master's Guide, pages 93 to 95, have everything on weather as far as temperature, winds, rain, just in a wind, I mean, you're going to be blown away or knocked down, or if you're like a large-sized creature, checked, which means basically the winds are so strong you can barely move. And they give ratings light, moderate, strong, severe, windstorm, hurricane, and tornado. They rate windstorm as 51 to 74, hurricane 75 to 174, and tornado 175 to 300. Mm. And they even put in things like range attacks for normal and, well, siege weapons, because I'm using the 
the the DMG, and I mean you right. can use this for modern. Um, and they give fortitude saves as far as you know whether you stay up or not. Uh, let's see here, what else? The precipitation during a storm, they give perception. You you take penalties to list and spot and search checks because it, it's hard to see in a rainstorm. Hey, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I would apply that in Savage Worlds too. I would, I would apply a minus one or minus two to all perception checks when that thing is really kicking in. Rain, let me read from page 94 of the DMG. Rain, rain reduces visibility ranges by half, resulting in a minus four penalty on spot and search checks. It has the same effect on flames, ranged weapon attacks, and listen checks as severe wind. See the following page, okay? And that would be uh, severe wind. In addition to automatically extinguishing any unprotected flames, winds of this magnitude cause protected flames, such as those of lanterns, to dance wildly in a 50% chance of extinguishing these lights. Range weapon attacks and listen checks are at a minus four penalty. This is the velocity of wind produced by a gust of wind spell. Okay, that and severe wind would be 31 to 50 miles an hour by this rating on this chart. Right, so less than a hurricane. Technically, a hurricane is 74 or above, and below that, it's considered a depression. I'm just saying technically by scientific terms. Hurricane force wind, all flames are extinguished. Range attacks are impossible except, for, except with siege weapons, which have a minus eight penalty on attack rolls. Listen checks are impossible. All characters can hear is the roaring of the wind. Hurricane force winds often fell trees. Right. Recently here in the Detroit area, matter of fact, this past weekend, we had one of those green sky storms. I've been out in one. You don't hear anything. It's basically you got rain whipping around, water splashing around, because I've been in ankle deep water in one. And just, yeah, you aren't hearing much of anything but wind. Right, right. And things blowing around. So like driving your, your motorcycle about 75 miles an hour without a helmet. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can also treat wind and these uh, a lot of these kinds of damage types as a uh, swarm creature. No, I'm saying except for the fact you can't shoot it down with any kind of uh, <laughs> weapon. Right, yeah. Right, you you can't defeat it. However, it has many swarm characteristics. Right. It can move through uh, areas that are very narrow. If you start your uh, round in its area of effect, you're probably going to take damage because you haven't sought cover. It probably has reach. Yeah, you know what? I, I like that, Bruce. Using You could use wind as a swarm attack. Uh, basically, when I covered... I have it right here as my next section was wind. I didn't go into a whole lot of super depth on that. I just said high-speed wind can move can move a person if it's fast enough, which is which is bad. But worse than that is getting hit by flying debris, sharp objects being the most dangerous. And I said, sure. you know, go back to the cards for determining damage. We, like I said, you know, when you're pulling the cards, you can determine how bad that damage is using the cards to determine, you know, what part of the storm you're in. Or, or how much debris is available to strike you, and then go right, like what you're saying, go to the swarm attack, treat it as such. The swarms have, in addition to just the normal damage of being in their area, they also do get a, a special attacks on top of it. Hurricanes here, as far as the D20, if you are medium size or smaller, you are blown away, and the damage you take from that is you are knocked prone and rolled 1D4 times 10 feet, taking 1D4 points of non-lethal damage hmm. per 10 feet. If you are a flying creature, let's say it's a Bureau 13 game and you have some magical form of, okay, are not blown back 2d6 times 10 feet and take 2d6 points of non-lethal damage due to battering and buffeting. This is going to be very descriptive. So in other words, if let's say you, you pull the card that does 2d6 damage and you're saying that it's going to be wind damage, you can say that's either from stuff hitting you or you can say that's from the guy being blown through the air and rolling down the street. Or hitting a wall or going through the wall. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, what I'm going to say, though, is is that I would allow them, at least in Savage Worlds, because it's more of a cinematic-type environment, I would allow people to make athletics checks, in that case, to resist that. Agility checks, basically. Agility checks, right. Sure, okay. You know, to say, if you make this, it means you grabbed a hold of something and you didn't take damage. Or you saw, you know, the car door flying at you and you ducked underneath of it. Or you got sent flying through the air, but you rolled with the, the landing and you didn't take damage. You got a little scratched up, but it's nothing that actually counts. Well, conversely then, you should be able to do reflex saves then in D20 then. Or a tumble check if you want to do the cinematic thing, because there are certain yeah. books that allow you, 
it might be a ridiculously high DC. The Epic Level Handbook would be real good for that. Um, it, you might be able to pull off, you know, mitigating some of that damage by making a really good tumble check, or if you're just trying to keep your footing, I don't know, maybe a balance check might come into play. Well, yeah, Reflex Save is more to avoid damage like Eric's Bolt. Yeah, you'd probably want to make some type of skill roll, and Tumble is trained, but Balance would be untrained. So you, it would that would be a GM call on that one. Mythbusters, they determined that 80 miles an hour is about as most anyone can, can stand, because the wind after that just picks you up and carries you. That's <laughs> Hurricane Force wind by that time, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure they probably had access to a wind tunnel with that. And never forget that there's always stuff to grab onto, and party members can help each other. You can form human chains, and, and if people have ropes and stuff, so there's always ways to counter this stuff. Like, let's say somebody wants to, you know, they have to get out that, to help somebody else. You're not just going to say, oh, well, it can't be done because it's 90 mile an hour wind, and the second you step out there, you're going to be gone. There are ways around that. You can tie yourself off and, and lead yourself down a rope. Again, following the same idea of treating the the wind is a monster, treat it as a bull rush. That throwing, pushing you around, that's a right. bull rush, and there it's a gigantic creature, and therefore it gets all the bonuses. Now, the, the rules in the game are if you have more than two feet, then you get a bonus. So if you have two people holding together, they're going to provide more of a bonus against resisting that bull rush than they would by themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's ways of doing this. And the reason I I like the idea of treating it as kind of a creature is because storms are not uniform. They have cells in them that are of greater violence and lesser violence. If you look at any kind of a weather map, you can see that. So while you can have a general environment of, of, of high wind, you can also have raging bits inside of it that could correspond to as I said, a creature. Yeah, and on top of that, Bruce, you know, if you're inside of any kind of an urban environment, where you're standing can change all of that. Let's say you're standing in a section where the wind isn't whipping through because the buildings are giving you help, or let's say you're standing in an open area. But when you're role-playing, everything's really conceptual. So that number can change quickly because there's all these variables floating around. You know, we'll go back to the the speed of plot type of thing or the you know, the effect of plot. It's whatever the game master decides it's going to be. It, or like in my case, what I was saying with the cards, the cards would determine that's a good way to do do a random thing. With D20, I mean, you could roll 20-sided and say, hey, the higher I roll, the worse the storm is where you are in that section. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it, it should be a lot of randomness like that. There should be a lot of ups and downs because that's the way this works. You know, you, uh, you, know, you have chaos. It's, it's total chaos. It's, it's chaos incarnate. Yeah, that's what, you're, that's what you're going for with a disaster. Right, and it should be. You absolutely should make it like that. The players should never, ever feel safe at any point. And if I remember correctly, if you have to go through the uh, the, the hurricane, the leading edge is actually the, the nicer edge of the, of the eye. The trailing edge is, is worse. It's still getting fed by the warm water it's on. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read that anywhere in my research, but that makes sense. Yeah. But also when the eye passes over, that's a period of intense calm, and that's where a lot of people come out and go, hurricane's over. No. (laughs) That's when you go, hey, where's the school with the bomb shelter? Yeah. So we had wind, and then you have flooding. When you get caught up in the flooding, basically it's going to be a swimming roll to get out. Uh, maybe a climbing role or athletics role, depending on you know what game you're using, what system you're using. But you know Bruce will go over the particulars in in his section because he's going to do flooding. The important part here is that the heroes are not safe from flooding anywhere other than high ground during a cyclonic storm, because flash flooding can hit at any time. And if you're on the shoreline during stormfall, you can get you know you can get waves that will suck you out to sea, uh, much like a tsunami. Flooding is always a concern, even if you're in a building, because you can be in a building, the flooding hits, and it starts pouring in through the windows and stuff. Then you have structural collapse and infrastructure issues. Uh, most of this will work much the same way as wind, only change the description. Instead of being hit by flying debris, the hero has to avoid falling debris. Uh, I'm sure John's going to cover some of this during his talk about earthquakes, though. good example of what happens is look at Katrina. Not just New Orleans, but the entire southern coast. 
there are places where houses just vanished. Oh, yeah. Well, look at the tsunamis in, in Japan. I was watching the, one of the videos on that, and the water was coming in, and I was like, well, you know, people getting up in the higher levels of their buildings are fine because, you know, because the water's filling in on the bottom. And then I started seeing buildings move. And I started seeing more buildings move. And these buildings were actually just big buildings, too, which is moving. And then by the time the video was done, that whole neighborhood was gone. And I was like, I, I never knew. I could, could, could not have imagined that, that that would happen. I was like, I was astounded. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you can be in a building. It, could be, it can actually be a sturdy building. And uh, can go away. But, you know, John, or, I'm sorry, Bruce is going to talk about that. In, in great detail, I'm sure. So then we have, you know, uh, down power lines are a problem um, if they're still energized. Uh, again, I would use the cards for damage for that. You know, if, uh, y- you know, you pull like a, an 8 or a 9, you know, they step on a power line, 2d6 damage, and they get, you know, they get their world rocked. Fires, these are always possible, although a bit rare because the uh, of all the water and the massive wind. It's, it's hard for a fire to keep up. But it can happen, especially inside of a structure. So if you're, you know, you got yourself situated inside of a structure and the hurricane is tearing your building up and you can always get like transformers can explode, you, you can still get fires. Let's talk about cover a little bit because, you know, cover is your best option during a hurricane. If the heroes get cover, you can downgrade any of the effects to reflect this. A bus stop kiosk might reduce all the card values by one. Again, going back to the card value, like I said. So let's say you pulled a six. Now, if you're in some kind of, any kind of shelter, you might say, all right, well, I'm going to downgrade that by one. So it goes down to a five. So that would be that lower category. You know, if you got inside of a house, you know, like, like a regular person's house, you might lower that number by two or three. But if you make it to an actual shelter, like a, like a school or a government building of some kind, you're going to ignore the card values unless they're like crazy. And then, you know, like face cards. And then basically what that's going to do is that would affect the building. Wouldn't a modifier be also dependent? Like like what happened in, in, in New Orleans, the ninth ward was flooded out because technically it was below sea level. So you're running an adventure and the heroes have found, you know, a place of, of really good safety. So pretty much if you can't lure them out of the building for some reason, you have three choices at this point. You can either have the storm pass and move on uh, with whatever else you have planned for the adventure. Because if they're going to stay there and they can't be affected by the storm, then just say, okay, well, three hours later the storm passes, you guys are all okay. And then move on. Or you can force them out of the building or their, their safety by having someone or something require their attention. So, I don't know, you hear some kid crying outside and you know the party goes out to save them. I was about to say, you, I was about to say, you, or you have a mother run up to him and say, "My baby, he's stuck in the, he's stuck in our house, and it's flooding." You, you either say, "Okay, the storm's done," or you lure them out of the building somehow. Or the third alternative is you make the shelter unsafe. You you change the safety factor of the shelter, and, and the way I would do that is let's say, let's say they're in the basement shelter of a government building, you know, in in a an official shelter. And you pull like a king or an ace. You could have you could have an electric pole hit an emergency generator for that building, uh, and have the generator and the transformer explode at the same time, blowing a big hole in the wall and causing the building to catch on fire, or having it flood. So now you're pushing them out of the building. So now they're forced out of their safety. Every structure is going to have a certain defense value. D20, uh, 20, we already give a, a certain hardness to various structures. So when you go into one of those buildings, well, okay, you downgraded your own personal damage, but that means that the building is absorbing it. Right. And if that damage is less than the toughness of the building, well, that's fine. But again, it's not going to be uniform. It shouldn't be just one straight value. That monster of a storm out there might turn around and smack your building. And maybe it does five or six points of damage over the toughness. Okay, you just blew in some windows. Maybe you knocked you know, over a part of the, of the corner of the building, opening it up and letting rain in now. Uh, or, as you said, maybe uh, you knocked over a lightning post, which then goes in through the side of a building. Even push a car along the street and suddenly it goes slamming through the building. I mean, you can downgrade 
the safety of the place by a keep applying damage to the safe structure they're in until it's not worth anything anymore. Right. The hardness of glass is a lot less than the hardness of old concrete. The, the stats for that is in D20 Modern. The, the page escapes me. But yeah, blowing in a window is a heck of a lot easier than blowing through a wall. And the winds will probably take, because you see this in, in stuff in storms along the Gulf Coast. People are sitting there boarding up their windows and then heading further inland. Right. Yeah, it, it just stands to reason. There's a good chance that a window is going to get blown out before a wall yeah. or, or even a door. So, you know, yeah. just blowing through a window, you're going to end up compromising the safety of the characters where, okay, hey, look, we need to be out of here or get further, you know, get some more walls between us where they get further in. So flying glass will even cause damage. I mean, the safest place to be in a hurricane is nowhere near the hurricane. You're going to have adventures going on. I mean, it's the whole point. It's not. It's not just a hurricane. You, there's always going to be some kind of secondary thing going on, or at least I would hope there would be. So, those things will force people out. Talking about good shelter. I mean, that's what everyone thought the Superdome was down in New Orleans. But it turned out, yes, it survived. But I would imagine that would require, at least in Savage, in Savage Worlds, I would say, I would, I would say, during the hurricane, you get to make several fright checks. Because the power goes out, it's black, it's dark. Uh, any openings in the building are, are blown open by the hurricane, but you're still safe. But it's dark and scary, and there's noises. You're in there with a, thousands of people, and they're having fear effects too. On top of that, so yeah, it's and, and these, these some of these people are people you wouldn't want to live next to. Well, more yeah. people with guns, gangsters. I mean. That was a little blown up of proportion. Uh, that actually really didn't happen to the extent people it was reported in the press. But I know what you're saying. I'm not yeah. saying that it did. I'm just saying that it could. And especially in an adventure situation, the enemy that you were sent there to try and take out and the hurricane hit. Now, I'm going to get into this in a second with the adventures. But let's say you know, you're, you're sent there to find some dude and the hurricane hit and everybody's running for shelter. And you're like, well, I got to run for shelter too. I don't care that I'm a hero. I don't want to be killed by a lightning hit. So you go into the shelter, and all of a sudden, the guy you're hunting's in the shelter with you. Yeah. It's not for naught that, that raging against the storm is considered a stupid thing to do. Right. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, you're, you're in this shelter with this guy, but it turns out he has more guys than you do. So running back out into the storm might be safer than the hail of bullets from inside the building. So there, there are other ways to get people out of the building as well. So let me talk about adventures just a little bit. I got uh, just, just a tiny bit more to cover on this. So storms are great in and of themselves for an adventure. There doesn't need to be much else going on, but you can always spice it up by having the storm show up during a normally mundane mission. Like, let's say the mission is to recover some stolen goods by another group of individuals. This would normally be an infiltration. These are generally fun, but they're they're kind of cut and dry. You know, here's the mission, here's your target, you go in, you get it. What's interesting with this is you can have the party find the target's location just as a storm is about to hit. Uh, make it known that they may not get another chance once the storm clears, especially if they leave during the storm. Uh, the trail might become impossible to follow. you got this, this target you've been tracking down. You finally find them in this town, I don't know, let's say Louisiana. Let's say some town in Louisiana. And a storm, a massive storm is about to hit in the, in the Gulf Coast. Now, you could go in during the storm and try and take him out, or you can wait for the storm to end, but by the time the storm is over, he could be gone, and his tracks are going to be very well covered because he's leaving a town that's been destroyed. Yeah. So you may want to go into the town during the storm, or you may be forced to go into the town during the storm to try and find him during a massive hurricane so that he doesn't get away again. Yeah, and the climactic battle takes place during the peak of the storm. Right, right. And actually, you know, it'd be kind of cool is if, if, you, if you do the whole thing where there's a whole bunch of fighting during the, you know, the storm and everything, and then you, know, you have the, you know, the last few characters against his last few guys right in the eye of the storm. You have your shootout. Then the storm starts surging again through the town, and you spend the rest of the adventure trying to get the hell out of the storm without getting killed by uh, lightning, wind, or flooding. Mm -hmm. So that's what I have on Hurricanes. Well, great. Uh, thank you, Blix, for doing such a great job on that. 
So who's going to be next? Well, how about you, John? Okay. All right. So I'm I'm going to well I'm thinking some more than more geological type uh, disasters because they're, they're technically they are all they're fa- fairly well related to each other. That is avalanches, la- landslides, earthquakes, and volcanoes. Pretty well interrelated to each other. Volcanoes will trigger landslides. And earthquakes can also trigger landslides, and landslides all by themselves can be triggered through various things. So let's say, like, oh, a storm <laughs> can right. trigger a landslide. Let's start with the simplest one, which is the landslide, or avalanche. An avalanche is a landslide that's basically made of snow. Living up here in the uh, northwest, there's always stories about landslides or avalanche problems you know, blocking roads and Landslides are usually caused by an overabundance of snow on steep hillsides. Really, I mean, that's, it sounds pretty simple, but uh, they can be there for a while until something, some event triggers them. Now, that trigger can be man-made, or it can be something simple as a few extra inches of snow, and then it takes time and gravity for it to go at that point. Landslides come in various modes. We have uh, a good old rockfall landslide, which everyone's familiar with. They usually happen on, on uh, steeper slopes. Uh, then you have the relative to, to the landslide, the mudslide in the uh, Seattle area. There's this area called Magnolia Bluffs. And one year, a goodly portion of Magnolia Bluffs fell into Puget Sound due to a large amount of rain. And usually you see mudslides happening during or just after a major rainstorm. Well, what's it like to actually have a, a mudslide, John? What's, what's that experience? It's like being caught in wet concrete. Can you hear it coming? Oh, yeah. You can hear it coming, or you can see it happening. Uh, I remember seeing photographs of hillsides just cracking, seeing the ground crack, and then subsiding a little bit, and then it's like disappearing right down the hill and vanishing into a, into a slide that if there's any houses below, they get wiped at that point. I mean, it's tons and tons and tons of earth, and buildings are just pounded flat. It's one of the cases where if you're in one of those buildings, the chances are you may not actually survive. But, but for game purposes, uh, GMs can give you that... You always have that chance of surviving in games, so there's always that chance of... Yeah, your building hit gets hit by a mudslide, but miraculously the top floor somehow doesn't collapse and you're stuck on the top floor uh, with the walls creaking and groaning and threatening to collapse because there's more mud on top of them. I've never been caught in, in a mudslide. Plus, I ever came to an avalanche was with snowstorms in Michigan. With avalanches, you see all this white powdery snow just falling down a hill. It can get up to 100, 100 and so miles an hour. You really can't outrun it. When you're in it, you're being tossed and tumbled. You'd lose all orientation. And then when the snow stops, it goes from this powdery, gaseous form to, well, rock solid. You can't move. And people in avalanches, nobody actually don't die from the avalanche itself. They die from suffocation, being caught inside the snow. And unless you're lucky and there's a leg sticking out or some sort of limb, it's almost impossible to find a person buried in an avalanche unless they have some sort of transponder on them that locates them. If you're uh, adventuring in an alpine area where there's lots of, lots of snow and chances of avalanches are good, carry transponders with you so that if, it, if you do get caught, you can be found. You want to use the avalanche. Yes. Let, let's say, okay, we're playing heroes, and we're in a situation where there's avalanche. Let's say we're, I know, we're playing Savage Worlds, and we're hunting... Yetis, yes. Perfect, perfect. Okay, that's, that's exactly where I was going. And uh, you want to use an avalanche scenario. You know, the, the, the villain, Snidely Whiplash, is twirling his mustache. The Yeti, in his defense, calls down an avalanche on top of you. Okay, perfectly, perfect. Yeah. So the avalanche hits you. I'm just going to say that there's really no role to avoid the avalanche. It's it's just, you know, because where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You know, we can't fly or, you know, so you get caught in it. Yeah. I would say at that point, you're going to have to make some strength checks, some survival checks. Yeah, you're saving for half damage. Well, in D20, you're saving for half damage. In Savage Worlds, you're going to apply some damage. and The amount of damage depends. There are people who have been caught in avalanches, and... 
other than suffocating to death in, in the, when, they, when they stopped, were relatively unhurt, tossed about and, and rolled about. But unless there's rocks involved with the snow, an avalanche can be not that physically damaging, but it can cause problems like suffocation. Yeah, it can also include big chunks of ice, John. Oh, yeah, that too. Oh, yeah, I agree. Big chunks of ice. Yeah. Okay, so for Savage World, this is what I would say. An avalanche is hitting, right? I'm going to pull four cards. Going back to my card strategy, just because that's how they do chases and how that's how they do. Well, they use, they do, yeah, they do it in various ways. Yeah, but yeah. Right. But, but I like cards. Cards are really cool because it introduces that randomness. Mm-hmm. So let's say we're going to pull cards. Say, all right, this avalanche is going to require four card pulls. And for every card pull, that I do, that number, whatever number I pull up on the card, is going to reflect some kind of you know difficulty value you're going to have to roll to, to escape it. And then you might even say the suits are the different things you're going to have to avoid. Like, I don't know, spades is an entrapment, so getting buried by the snow. Mm-hmm. And diamonds is damage for getting hit by an ice, you know, a chunk of ice. There you go. I, I don't know, hearts would be, I don't know. Suffocation. Mm-hmm. Suffocation. There you go. Okay, each one of those suits would require a different skill or ability roll to avoid whatever effect that was. I mean, that's how I think I would do it. And then, of course, the higher the number, the harder the difficulty. Survival. Survival really depends on getting your get at least getting your face out of the snow, so you can breathe. Well, John, I would I would say the survival would only come into play if you were buried. That's the only time survival would come into account because then you would have to know, okay, I'm buried. What do I do now? Survival is basically all about knowledge. I mean, I was reading about various techniques. One was it's like, uh, uh, airbag. What does what happens is it makes you lighter, so you tend to, to, to go to the top of the pile of snow as you go down the hill because you, this airbag in your backpack opens up, making you basically lighter. But again, that sounds like a survival technique. Yeah, it does. Something you would learn from survival. Yep. You know, some of these are going to be just physical roles, like athletics. Like, in other words, the snow hits you. That would be an athletics check because I don't care what you know or what you don't know. That that's all about your ability to get the heck out of the way. You can't outski an avalanche unless you you're very lucky and you get a good head start on it and you ski out of its path. Right. An avalanche can happen that doesn't actually have to affect the entire team, like half the team or or people who have who've gone out to scout and all of a sudden, woof, they cause an avalanche. Or they cause an avalanche and they sit up there on top of the hill and watch it go down and take out the rest of the team. What about mudslides? How do mudslides differ from from avalanches? They're worse because they're heavier. We're doing an adventure. As a game master, you want to use a mudslide. You're like, yeah. okay, a mudslide is going to happen. Yeah. What kind of stuff are the characters going to have to do? Mudslides can happen two different ways. You're at the bottom of the hill and you got to outrun it. Or you're on top of the thing and then it happens. At that point, you actually have a better chance of surviving if you're on top of it in a, in a fairly strong structure. So maybe it's a castle built on this hill. It's been raining and raining and raining. During this climatic battle, you see part of the curtain wall just disappear as it goes down the hill. Basically, you watch the castle slowly, in slices, go down the hill. It's a chase. You're trying to outrun the hill collapsing underneath you and trying to get to something solid. So it's, it's not going to carry you along? It could carry you along as well, but then it'll carry you along with everything else is taking along with it, too. If it's a really fast mudslide, yeah, you're going to get mixed up with all the various chunks and rocks and so forth and take damage. If you're in a car or if you were in a house that was like up on stilts and a, and a landslide happened, it would probably knock out the underpinnings and just push you along. You might ultimately get buried in it, but for at least the first part of it, you'd be just simply carried along as an unwilling participant. Yeah, you'd be mudslide surfing at that point, and that'd be more cinematic. Lack of a better term. It gives you a chance to do something. Yeah, I'm in my Humvee, caught in a mudslide, going, okay, I can't go up, maybe I can go sideways, kick it in four-wheel drive and aim for the edge of the mudslide and try to drive out of it while it's going down the hill. So you're churning through the mudslide while it's going. Yep. Hoping to miss any trees and boulders and the occasional house. That would be a heck of a drive roll. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That would be a series of drive rolls. Trav, have you looked at the transporter class in Fringeworthy? It's been a while. It's pretty amazing. 
Mm-hmm. You know what, though? Like you're saying, for a transporter, and I'm sure D20 has their rules for it, and, and Savage Worlds has its rules for chases. Yeah. This sounds like a chase scenario, John. Yeah. Yeah. You have a chase sequence against the avalanche, which is fantastic. You draw certain cards, you have obstacles in the way that you have to surmount. I really like So what you're saying is if you're – like for Savage Worlds – in general, if you're caught in an avalanche, it becomes a chase sequence, and you basically have to outrun the avalanche. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. There is one kind of avalanche, and this is related to, to volcanoes you do not want to get caught up in, and that is a pyroclastic flow. Oh, that's it. You're done. There's no out. Those are 100% lethal. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Done. Unless you're the human torch. Right, right. Because what is it? Was it, John, like 1,200 degrees or something like that? People in Pompeii were killed by a pyroclastic flow. You'll find skeletons with the skulls burst open because the brains instantly boiled and exploded. It's like 1,200 degrees or something like that. Right? Something could like melt steel. or Oh, steel melts much lower than that. Right. I- I'm just saying, but the pyroclastic cloud is something where it just like vaporizes you. Oh, you're carbonized. You're, you're instantly carbonized. The characters don't get caught in that. No, no. The characters will never be caught in that. From an adventure standpoint, from a, from a game playability standpoint, you're not going to survive it. It's, there's just no point in doing it unless you just want to do a TPK. In D20, you're going to do something like that. They'll say, oh, it's 20D6 damage. It's like, that's a GM call. You get in a lava flow. Don't even bother picking up the dice. No. It's kind of stupid at that yeah. point. It's kind of like, okay, I just wanted to kill all the characters and start a new adventure. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're not going to get caught in that. No. But you can use it to block their path. That's correct. Force them to go a different direction. Right. It can be a fringe effect. In other words, you were just on the outside of that, and you use it to affect the characters. It is an obstacle. Yes. Yes. Right. Branching off the volcanoes. In this case, you have ventures like Krakatoa. If you're on the island, you're dead. But you're not going to be on the island because you're going to be across the, the ocean from at least across from the straits from Krakatoa. And you're one of those people who did survive by running for high ground. There were pyroclastic clouds that got a fair distance across the water before they peered out. Yeah, Krakatoa was a major explosion. The, the caldera collapsed. And basically the island just collapsed and disappeared in the water, causing a large displacement of water. The tsunami swept, swept inland and took out lighthouses that were uh, 60 feet tall. Just washed them away. Now, didn't knock them over, just washed them away. <laughs> that was a big tsunami, but Bruce will talk about that more, more later. <laughs> but, but volcanoes, but you can have the other kind of volcanoes, like Mauna Lea, which basically puts out a lava flow you can, run, you can walk away from. <laughs> but it's persistent. Every hour, it's that much closer. Then all of a sudden, the ground erupts, and you found you realize a lava tube just opened up, and now you're blocked by by beautifully you know rich rich and hot lava spewing out of the ground because because the lava tube opened up. So, John, I would say from from when you're using volcanoes, using lava flows and such like that, you're not talking about hitting people with lava because that's just forget about it. You're you're done. A little bit will give you a, like a, a D six or D ten burn. Right, so so if you get close to it, like a splash from it or whatever. But if yeah. you get caught in lava, you're done. Yeah. But what lava really creates is something you Bypass. absolutely you have to move away from, and it's an obstacle. And despite what Pierce Bronson did, you cannot drive <laughs> over lava with a car. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce Bronson. But yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's, it's more of a pain in the butt yeah. type of things. It's like... You know, whatever it is you're trying to do, the game master can use lava to, like, stop you from doing it or make you move somewhere else. It's basically this thing that, you know, I'm here and I'm doing my thing, but here comes the lava. Dang it, I got to move now. I don't want to move now, but I have to. You know, you could have the lava's really good for, like, separating you from the enemy. Separating you from your rest of your teammates as well. <laughs> or your teammates, right? Or your support, right? Any kind of support that you might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a good place to isolate you with the enemy. So, example, you know, for example, let's say you want to have, you know, one of the characters separated with the enemy and everybody else is just kind of watching, but they can't do anything. You're on this hill that's surrounded by a river of lava on both sides. Right, 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 right. 
Ah, uh, yes, the climactic fight, yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, of course, we are ignoring all the sulfuric gases and stuff that, you know, that, that surround lava. Mount St. Helens was a great example of a volcano that blew its top. Besides the explosion, one of the major effects was the four or five inches of ash it dumped over a very large area. And that pretty much will take airplanes out of the sky. It will keep your cars from working. It'll kill people if you get too much of it in your lungs. It just sets up like concrete. But but then you have like the perception modifiers of oh, ash. Oh yeah. You no, know, your your vision goes. You can't see. It's forget it. It's in the tank. Yeah. Of, of course, it's going to affect sound. You're going to have you know sound is going to be messed up because you're going to have all these particulates in the air. Um, smell, forget that. That's out of the window. Mm-hmm. You're not making any smell checks whatsoever around a volcano. Luckily, volcanoes do give some signs that they're about to blow. Even without really high-tech equipment, they'll usually start smoking and start having minor, you know, either earth shakes or earthquakes or even just minor eruptions before the big one happens. That happened with Mount St. Helens. That happened with Mount Pinatubo. On the Philippines, yeah. In the Philippines. Yeah, I remember this one line. I was watching a documentary about that volcano, and uh, this general says uh, he was standing there wondering if it was was time to leave the airbase or not. This volcanologist comes running up and says, put some grilled cheese sandwiches in your pockets because we're screwed. We're going to be cooked. And he runs past (laughs) him into a bus and and driving off as fast as he can. (laughs) That's time to go. It's time to follow that guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, John, what kind of adventures would you run during a, a volcanic event? Depending on the volcano, if it's a kind of like Mount Pinatubo, it's going to happen for a long period of time. It's not just one event. Volcanoes will, can go and run for, for weeks on end. Or like in case of uh, Mauna Leo, it's been erupting for the past 30 years. Uh, they found some ruins near a volcano, and we'll take Fringeworthy, yep. for example. It's a, it turns out it's a Tamerlan ruin, and this volcano is going off, and it's going to bury this Tamerlan site, what they know is a Tamerlan site, in lava. Lava is going to either bury it or destroy it or whatever. The team is sent in to try and recover whatever they can recover from this Tamerlan site as fast as they can because in an unknown amount of time, it's going to be buried in lava. Mm-hmm. So this would be a good adventure, you know, because the characters got to get in there. They got to discover what they can. They got to they gotta cut corners and say, hey, look, we're going to have to search and, and take what we can, but we're going to have to leave behind what we have to. You know, that'd be a good adventure for, uh, for a volcanic event. Or a wizard, or a hedge wizard, and this is in Bureau 13, miscasts a spell and causes a volcano to appear in the La Brea Tar Pits. You know, you've got ancient bones there that are essential. I mean, and that is a really great archaeological site. Get what you can out of there as fast as you can. You may think the volcano stopped, but it may just be resting for another event. Besides the pyrocrustic flows, some volcanoes, like um, Mount Rainier here in uh, Washington State, Mount Rainier is covered in ice and lots of loose ash and so forth. So when, and it actually, the potential on that one is to actually uh, create a, what's called a lahar. Lahar is basically a, 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 it's like a mudslide, only it's coming down a volcano. And it's a mixture of water, mud, ash, wet ash, and so forth. It's fairly nasty and noxious, but they figure that if Mount Rainier were to have a small event, uh, the glaciers on top would melt, and that would basically would just scour the sides of uh, Rainier down, and the Lahars wouldn't stop until they hit the Puget Sound. And that's, oh, like 40, 50 miles. And then the entire valley would be, co- would be covered to about two or three feet deep in this, what basically is concrete, when it, when it, hardened, when it finally hardens up. It would be a major disaster. But it's one you could survive because the Lahar will, you know, it is a wall of mud and, and stuff, but it is one you could su- survive if you can get to high ground fast enough. So there again, there are chase sequence. Right. You're being chased by a mudslide. All these have one thing in relation where they can't trigger earthquakes. And earthquakes, you get no warning. You're doing your stuff, you're doing your investigation, and then bang! Earthquake. It will last a round or two rounds, if you're lucky, and then it's over. And it could be a minor earthquake. It could be just hard enough to shake everything, 
but that would be an immediate fright check at that point for most people who have never experienced an earthquake. I've been I've been through two earthquakes uh, now so far, and yeah, the first one I didn't realize there was an earthquake until about halfway through it. Then I realized, oh, this is an earthquake. <laughs> The other one, that was the uh, the Squally earthquake up here, and that's when they actually did a lot of damage to downtown Seattle. Any earthquake they will, you can physically feel the shaking will cause damage someplace. The stronger the earthquake, the more damage it will cause. Right up into including what's called the slip thrust. This was what happened out in the Indian Ocean. A large fault decided to open up 500 miles. It just slipped, and it lasted for eight minutes. Right. Most earthquakes will last not quite 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Thrust fault earthquake can last upwards to 8 or 10 minutes because the entire fault is opening, is basically moving all along the fault surface. Like predicted here, the Juan de Fuca plate here in the uh, northwest, if it opens up, it would start up by British, up by, uh, British Columbia and work its way down to northern California and it would take about eight, ten minutes maybe for the entire thing to to open. And besides the tsunami, which would hit both coasts, it would probably collapse most buildings in downtown Seattle. Part of Seattle is built on landfill, so a section, a thing called um, liquefaction. Liquid, liquid, uh, actually liquefaction. Yeah, liquefaction. Liquefaction yep. uh, will happen, and then basically the sa- the soil turns into soup. And buildings sink into it. People sink into it. It's like the soil just – during the earthquake, the soil just becomes like pudding. It's crazy. I've seen some videos of this. Is it due to the water table rising or – No, no. No, no. It has nothing to do with water. The soil is being vibrated at a point where it's moving around so much it takes on the properties of a liquid. Can involve water though. Uh, there was a video. You'll, you, if you look around for uh, the the earthquake that happened in Japan, there's a video of a guy walking through a park. You can see the sidewalk moving back and forth, the cracks moving back and forth, which is the most eerie thing you've seen in your life. Sand blows and water blows coming out of the park. The lighter soils and water are being forced to the surface by the by the shaking. It's just weird. Uh, there's one video showed. A street, the guy just aims his camera right down, and you see a crack widening and closing and widening and closing as the earthquake was happening. And you realize that was the entire road widening and closing as, as the earthquake was occurring. <laughs> so an earthquake happens. What kind of game stuff happens? Uh, you're DM, you're running the adventure. It's going to probably last for one or two rounds, unless you want to do the big one. Right. Yeah, but even a small one, even a small one here in Seattle, would still be devastating in this area. There's basically a lot of these hills we were talking about, uh, they're not stable. And in a 7.0 to an 8.0, they would collapse. We're talking about what, athletic checks? During the actual earthquake itself, I would say an immediate fright check. If you fail it, you're just going right around screaming, going, oh my god, oh my god, because the earth is moving, and not in a good way. So part of the wall is going to try and hit you. That's an athletics check to yeah. keep from taking damage. Depending on the structure you're in, the structure may start may start collapsing right then and there, or it may collapse after the earthquake's over. Right, but you, as a game master, you're not going to put a character in a no, 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 a high rise building that falls because he's dead. I put him in a high rise that starts shaking back and forth, and this starts leaning. Okay. Going, Okay, I'm on the 12th floor, and the building has now has has developed a a five degree lean, and it start oh sorry six degree, seven degree. So then, what's a series <laughs> of athletics checks to get out of there? Yeah, climbing out. They had a building that broke in half, and the top half of it fell over against the building that was next to it. Now the whole top of the half of the building is at a 45 degree angle. So then it's a bunch of like, athleticy type things to get out of it. Yeah, instead of walking, you're climbing. Yeah. Balance and climb checks for D20. Yeah. If some woman on the 15th floor was into candle into aromatherapy and candles, oh, there's your fire start right there. Oh, dude, dude, no, forget that. Uh, gas line ruptures. Well, okay, the gas line ruptures, it's okay as long as there's no source of flame at that point. Electrical. Gas line rupture and uh, somebody, you know, a uh, broken light sparks. Yeah, there you go. The earthquake itself... It's just a short bang. It's almost instantaneous. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. When you talk about an earthquake, you have to deal with the after effects. That's really where the adventure takes place. Yes, and the after effects are things like tsunamis, landslides, fires, more, and aftershocks. Uh, in fact, you may actually get a like an 8.0 earthquake. But then it's followed by a 9.0. So that actually, technically, what you had was a warning shot, and here comes the here comes the real meal deal at this point. Yeah, Japan had a lot of that with their recent earthquake. The, the yeah. aftershocks went on for weeks, almost a couple months. Because as I said, I have a friend of mine who's in Japan as a teacher, and she, yeah, aftershock every. The video out there which shows these two high rises swaying back and forth. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Savage Worlds because that's what we're developing, John. You know, using the cards, you could use them in this way again by saying you're in a building, an earthquake happened, and now you know the building is like at a lean or it's cracked or two buildings are smashed together or whatever. And you mm-hmm. could say, I'm going to pull 10 cards to get out of this building. So, at, at, you know, at 10 different time intervals, you're going to have to make checks. Say, if I pull a heart, I find a person who's trapped. Right. There you go. Okay. And depending on the suit and depending on, on the on the rank of the card, it could be something minor as they, you just got to lift a bean to, okay, they're still alive, but I'm going to need a Jaws of Life to get them out. Right, right. Or if you, you pull a spade, that means that at some point you're climbing down and something fell on, you know, something you, you're caught in a, a section that's collapsing still. Or if you pull a club, it means you have to climb over something or climb down a, you know, climb down a, an area that's hard to climb down. Nothing's trying to hit you. It's just a hard obstacle to get over. Or you have to break through to get free. Right. Or you reach the, the joint where the building has like broken in half and leaned over. Well, you now reach the joint and there is no stairwells, no nothing. You just jam- jumble of stuff. You see where the cards come in handy because you have four yes. different classifications and then you have difficulties all built into that and it's all random. So yeah, this that would be fantastic. I would also treat like the the red joker different from the black joker. Red joker, it's it's bad for you. Black joker, eh, maybe you found a clear path. You know what though? I, I have this thing about me though. When it comes to Savage Worlds, I think jokers should always work for the players. If you think about it, all the other cards are for bad stuff, right? Every card you pull is some difficulty. Well, not necessarily. If you use cards in the chase, they actually have different meanings. Some some are good for you. Some are Bad for you, depending on how on how you run the chase. Well, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. I'm just saying, I like the Joker's always being good for the players in some way. But it, it doesn't have to be. Like you said, you know, Red Joker could be bad, Black Joker could be good. Yeah. If you get any of the face cards, it's just a, it's a major situation. Yeah. At that face point. cards are always... Yeah. Um, you've been talking about Savage Worlds. D20 earthquake rules. I looked in the DMG, really couldn't find anything. What I would use, there is, in the player's handbook, the earthquake spell. And it gives what to do on various terrains. It gives, uh, if you're in a cave, cavern, or tunnel, what happens there. If you're on a cliff, open ground, you're in a structure, river, lake, or marsh. And if you're even pinned beneath rubble. Let's say you're in a building. Uh, let's see, it says here, any creature pinned beneath rubble takes 1d6 points of non-lethal damage per minute while pinned. If a pinned character falls unconscious, he or she must make a DC 15 constitution check or take 1d6 points of lethal damage each minute thereafter until freed or dead. So there are rules, and that would be on pages in the player's handbook, 3.5, 225, and 226 in the spell section. So cool. you can use that as... A means for as far as gauging damage for characters in a d20 game modern or fantasy okay how would i go about the damage for this based on okay they're in the earthquake this is what happens okay we have terrain as i said and it listed all these various ones and structure any structure standing on open ground takes 100 points of damage enough to collapse a typical wooden or masonry building, but not a structure built of stone or reinforced masonry. <laughs> and for modern, you can say, okay, modern construction. Um, steel reinforced concrete is what I'm trying to find. Uh, hardness yeah. does not reduce this damage, nor is it halved in damage dealt to objects normally. Mm. Any creature caught inside a collapsing structure, ooh, takes 86 points of bludgeoning damage, re- reflex DC 15 for half. And it's pinned. And then you go to the pin yeah. rules. So D20's got rules? I just took it out of the player's handbook for the Earthquake spell. It's an 8th level destruction domain spell. 
I'm not too worried about you know, this sort of things in Sarah's Rose because Sarah's Rose is much more cinematic. Uh, yeah, I may actually just do like Bruce would say, treat the actual earthquake itself like it's a swarm. And depending on how bad it is, it could be like 2d4 up to 2d10 or even 2d12 amount of damage, you know, it's going on. Though 2d12 is really nasty and I probably would not go much higher than 2d8. Um, also, I'll just point out for folks who are familiar with Savage Worlds, yes, we do understand that only clubs count for complications if you're using cards for like chases and so forth. We just want to make it a little, a little more tougher for the players in this case. If you want an example, what, what you can do to the people, to your players, go find and rent Earthquake from the 70s. It's a perfect example of a cinematic earthquake. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.